Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today, let's read from Amos chapter 8. This is what the Lord Yahweh showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then Yahweh said to me, The end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord Yahweh. So many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere, silence. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and sell the chaff of the wheat? Yahweh has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account, and every one mourn who dwells in it? And all of it rise like the Nile, and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. And on that day, declares the Lord Yahweh, I will make the sun go down at noon, and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning, and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only sun, and the end of it like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord Yahweh, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, not a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of Yahweh. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of Yahweh, but they shall not find it. In that day the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. This is the word of the Lord. As we mentioned in the text yesterday, chapter 7, we are in a series of five visions that Yahweh gives to the prophet Amos. The first three visions were in chapter 7. Today we have vision number 4 here in chapter 8. And then we get vision number 5 in chapter 9 tomorrow. The first two visions, Amos interceded on behalf of the people and God relented of those disasters But with visions 3, 4, and 5, that is not the case. These visions will come to pass. God will bring this judgment upon his people. And so vision number 4 here is a basket of summer fruit, which might seem odd uh, to the English hearer. What's the connection of the summer fruit to the rest of the text? But what we're seeing here is actually wordplay in the Hebrew language. So the word in Hebrew for this fruit is kayetz. And the word for end that we see in verse, well, I guess it's 2b, the end has come upon my people Israel, is kates. The two are very similar looking in the Hebrew language and sounding as well. So it's a word play that we're looking at as God is going to bring about the end of his people. We mentioned this yesterday in chapter 7 as well, back in verse 8. God has said, I will never again pass by them. Uh, The word forgiveness is a word to have in mind as you read that, that, that language, that God is refusing to forgive them 
because they have hardened themselves against him. They remain in their rebellion. And we're going to see some of that hardness of heart here in this chapter, some of the things that Israel loves to do rather than trust in God as their Lord. But before we do, we see disaster come. Verse 3, the songs of the temple become wailings. So instead of praising their false gods and idols and their temples, they're going to be mourning over the death and the destruction that has come upon them. So you have the three exclamation marked sentences back to back to back, declarations of the people. And we saw this yesterday as well, the idea that even once that destruction had started, rather than repent and turn to the Lord and seek the Lord in this, that word silence shows up. Be silent. Don't call on the name of Yahweh. That was a recurring theme here for them. So the Lord then speaks to them. Hear this, you who trample the needy, bring the poor of the land to an end. So destroying, killing those who are in need. This is a constant refrain as well uh, throughout the prophecy against Israel. And then verse 5 and 6 show us some of the wicked things that they do. When will the new moon be over so that we may sell grain and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale? Their focus is on their greed. A good conversation point for a family today on this text is to talk about the third commandment and its meaning. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not despise preaching and his word, but hold it sacred and gladly hear and learn it. The Israelites are not doing that. They are not gladly hearing and learning from the word of God. They are not even resting on the Sabbath. They see it as a law that must be obeyed, must be followed, but they don't, they don't see the purpose. They want to return to their, their labors because it means they get to continue to increase their greed and their possessions. They've been rebuked for their wealth and luxury already in the book. Another way to take that conversation, parents, can you recall a time in our own culture in our own history where businesses were closed on Sundays. And for the children, do you know of any such businesses now that aren't open on a Sunday? Hobby Lobby, Chick-fil-A come to mind. There are a few others. I mean, typically speaking, even your postal service is closed on a Sunday. And, and so you can talk about things like that. But what does it say about our culture that most businesses function like normal on a Sunday. That might be a point worth discussing and considering, that this greed that we see of the Israelites is a greed that exists even today, for there is nothing new under the sun, as the book of Ecclesiastes says. So why do they want to sell wheat? Well, look at the next line, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great. So the ephah is a measurement a large measurement for a quantity of what you would buy wheat in, uh, the ephah itself being like 22 liters, according to the, the Lutheran Study Bible uh, footnotes there, whereas the shekel is a small measurement, but in this case, it would be a reference to money. So let's make the ephah small. Let's figure out ways to cut corners and actually sell less, and we'll make the shekel 
great, so we'll make more profit by selling less stuff. That's the picture here. They're, they're seeking to deceive and to increase their pockets. And we'll, dece we'll deal deceitfully with false balances. So they're outright thieves, right? They're, they're going to cheat and rob the people that they sell to in the market. And then verse 6, they're involved in slave trading here. The Bible itself does not outright condemn slavery. In fact, there are instances where the Bible sets out laws for how to hold a slave and treat a slave. But that doesn't make slavery the, the basic starting point. Slavery is a, an economic structure to care for those who are poor. So if your neighbor falls to a place where he can't even feed himself, take him into your home as a slave. And after seven years, you let him go. That's the kind of picture here. That's not what we see here in Amos chapter 8. That's not what the Lord is rebuking them for. They're just delighting in the trade of it. And then they sell the chaff of the wheat. That's the stuff you don't eat. That would be like, for us, you, you know, you cut up a pineapple, you eat the nice uh, fruit from the inside yourself, and then you sell the, the outer crust that you were just going to throw in your garbage can. And that's the kind of picture that we see in the text. Yahweh has sworn by the pride of Jacob, we might say by means of the pride of Jacob, or on account of the pride of Jacob, to help us understand what that phrase means here. It is not that Yahweh has sworn this for no reason. Yahweh has looked upon the pride of Israel, and he is judging them because of it. We talked yesterday and many times in this podcast, really, about how pride is a terrible sin. Pride focuses on the self, and sin is a focus on the self, so the two are almost synonyms to one another. Jacob's high and lofty opinion of itself as a nation has led to their destruction. Surely I will never forget any of their deeds. That is a dark statement indeed from the Lord, that he will not forget. That also means he will not forgive. This is another family discussion point for you today. Does God forget your sins? Does God forget your sins? The answer to that is yes. He has promised in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 31 to 34, would be a great spot to go, the promise of a new covenant, that God will forgive our iniquities and remember our sin no more. That is this great paradox of faith, right? That we believe that Yahweh, that Jesus is omniscient, that he's all-knowing, and yet there is one thing in Scripture that he promises he does not know. Our sins, he has forgotten them, willfully, purposefully, as he covered them with his own blood upon the cross. So verse 8 the land will tremble, everyone in it will mourn. So that's referring to the destruction that is coming. And it, it, it's then pictured like the Nile River. So maybe you've noticed river floods in your own life, but here's the picture. The, the Nile rises in the spring, and that flood water brings with it destruction. And then after the destruction has come, the waters slowly recede again. And this is the picture that God is painting of Israel's destruction, that the Assyrian army will flood into the promised land, destroying everything in their path, and then slowly they'll make their way out 
and back home again. Verse 9, on that day I will make the sun go down at noon, darken the earth and broad daylight. This could be a reference to an increase of evil on that day. As, I mean, again, Assyria slaughtering the Israelites is not a good thing per se. It's God's righteous judgment, yes, but it's not what the Lord wants to do. And so we have that connection of darkness and sin by the scriptures. Perhaps this is a foreshadowing of the last day. As the idea of the darkness of the sun comes to play in other prophecies about the the latter day when Christ returns, uh, perhaps Joel chapter 2 would be a reference there. We might even consider the crucifixion with verse 9. I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. Sixth hour to the ninth hour, as Christ hung on the cross, that's noon to three, you have total darkness cast over the earth. So there's a bit of a connection there. I will turn your feast into mourning, your songs to lamentation. We've seen that already in the text. Sackcloth and baldness are a reference to grief, that if you were entering into a period of mourning, you might shave your head and wear sackcloth instead of your normal clothing, sit in ashes. Being bald uh, for, for men was often a sign of shame, so that's connected to it too. I will make it like the mourning for an only son. So the idea that how you would grieve if you only had one son, the one son who would receive your inheritance in the promised land, who would keep your family tree going, and he died. And that was taken. And everything in that sense would be lost for your family. That's the kind of mourning that's going to come upon them. Again, if we're connecting to the cross with verse 9, we can do that here in verse 10, right? As the Lord mourns the death of his only son, Jesus Christ, on Good Friday. Behold, the days are coming, I will send a famine. But note, it's not a famine of food. It's a famine of God's word. That God is going to take his word from the land. He's going to take his word from among the people. And in part that happens in 722 when the Assyrians come and and devastate. But this is also going to happen even more grandly when you talk about the intertestamental period that goes between the book of Malachi at the end of the Old Testament and the book of Matthew at the start of the New Testament. Malachi, if I recall correctly, was roughly 430 B.C. And he's the last prophet to speak for the Lord until John the Baptist. Over 400 years of silence. And so the people will wander. They'll go all over the place looking for the word of Yahweh, but they won't find it. This is part of God's condemnation, part of his judgment, that he is hardening this people and that they will have to suffer from this and their children after them will suffer for the time to come. Consequences do exist on account of our sin, and we see this even generationally speaking in communities today as you think of you know, what you do and how that impacts your children. And if, if I withhold the word of God from my kids how likely are they going to take that word of God that they never knew and share it with theirs, right? It's a generational impact that we do have as we are taught by the Lord to teach our children to seek him. 
verse 14, then you get guilt of Samaria, which would be their idol worship. King Jeroboam, the first one, all the way back uh, in the, I guess that would be the 10th century BC, setting up the temples for worship of pagan gods and Dan and Bethel. So Dan gets a reference here. Um, So as your God lives, O Dan, their God doesn't live. It's a statue. It's a golden calf, literally, as the way of Beersheba lives. And so we've seen Beersheba mentioned back in chapter 5 alongside of Bethel and Gilgal as places for idolatry. The Lord is saying that these sites of idol, idol worship are going to be torn down. They're going to be destroyed, never to rise again. So Israel's paganism is going to be overcome by the Lord's judgment. 